Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. billion people may live and die without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his followers to go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Involvement in this global mission is not optional. Every Christ follower has a role to play. In a world plagued with poverty, racism, spiritual emptiness, disease, and natural disasters, we have the opportunity to partner with God to build his kingdom. And there are so many ways you can do just that. Through outreach events, global missions, or thoughtful contributions, we can share the love of Christ locally and continue to reach the rest of the 195. God is at work, and he wants you to live life on mission. Find your part in the world. Steiger grew out of a passion to reach young people who would not walk into a church. What started out as a dynamic ministry reaching young people of Amsterdam has grown into a worldwide missions organization called to reach and disciple the global youth culture for Jesus. Today, Steiger is active in over 120 cities around the globe. And we bridge the gap between the church and the global youth culture in three ways. First, we mobilize the next generation of Christian leaders and influencers to impact secular culture. Second, we establish long-term missionary teams that reach and disciple the global youth culture. And third, we train the church to reach secular culture of their communities. For more information and how to get involved, go to steiger.org. One resource that you engage with immediately is the Provoke and Inspire podcast. This is a weekly conversation that features four of our key leaders in our mission and attempts to answer the question, how can we be faithful for Jesus in a post-Christian world? The podcast features world-class guests from throughout the Christian world. Check it out and subscribe today. Another resource is the Jesus in the Secular World book and small group series. This training will provide you with an in-depth understanding of the secular mindset, inspire personal revival, and equip you with practical next steps to relevantly engage the secular world with a powerful gospel message. If you want to get this book, we have them at our booth in the lobby. We ask for a $20 donation, but if that's a barrier, just take one. Lastly, if you'd like to receive my speaking notes from today, You can sign up for our newsletter, and we'll send those to you within a few days. All other info, come talk to us at the booth after the service. Good morning. Dan was a uh, a little bit more harsh in the last service about my wife. And honey, if you're listening, I think you're wonderful. Um, No, it's fun to have that history. Uh, My name is Ben Pierce. I forgot to say that in the last service, and I had several people say, who are you? Um, good question. Uh, let me pray. Actually, no, no, I got to say one thing that was not in that video. A lot was in that video, but we are doing a Jesus in the secular world class. It's based on the book that I wrote, uh, that's out there as was said in the video that you can grab. 
uh, is going to be on Saturday, November 11th, uh, 9 to 2. Uh, you can register. I just don't know where, uh, so figure that out. Uh, but show up, be there, and uh, you're going to be inspired and provoked by that. And I think it's going to really equip you to reach people in your life who are far from God. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And as I said in the last two services, what people do not need are my words. We all need a touch of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We all know how desperate things are. And if anything's going to happen, it's going to be because you move powerfully through us. So let this morning not just be information. Let it be powerful. And just help me to get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in very challenging times. Right? Sounds maybe cliche. I think we all know that. Our world is falling apart. It's a crazy world. It's getting crazier. People are walking away from God. According to studies, over 50% of Gen Z describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated. The nuns. It's the first time in American history where more than half of a generation thinks about God and says, eh, not interested. I know for most of you, this is not an abstract problem. I don't have to wonder that in a room like this, what I'm talking about are your sons and daughters or your grandkids or your friends, people that are close to you. And I know that your heart breaks. You've tried. You've prayed. You've cried. You've had the conversations. You've invited them to come. They don't come. You can feel like there's no hope. There is hope. I experience all the time, the power of God working outside of the church, there is hope. And this morning, I want to talk about some practical things that we can all do, some ideas and tools that we can implement into our own lives, that we might see the people in our life who won't walk into the church come to know Jesus. I hope it's going to be practical. It's going to be a lot of information. And what often is asked of me is, can I get these notes? Come out to our booth and and you can sign up and we can get those notes to you if I move a little too fast this morning. Before I dive into the practical steps, I have to give you the foundation. And it's funny, no matter how many sermons I write or talks I put together, I always end up saying the same few things over and over. And that's because if we miss this, if we don't have the proper foundation, then nothing I say this this morning matters at all. We might as well just walk out, honestly. We've got to get the proper foundation. So what is it? Well, we are living in a crisis. But there was somebody else who also experienced a crisis many, many years ago by the name of Nehemiah. And I think his response is very, very instructive for us this morning. See, Nehemiah, he had an unusual situation. Right? He was a Jew, but he had a good job. He was the cupbearer to the Persian king which made him a trusted official. He had comfort and security. He could have just wrote out his days living in the palace, right? And he could have had a good influence on his coworkers, you know? He could have done that, but he doesn't. He has some relatives come visit him and what they tell him, it kind of ruins this comfortable trajectory that he was on. They say, Nehemiah, we're in trouble. The nation of Israel is in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are burned down. How does Nehemiah respond? Well, he puts a seven-step practical plan together for how to rebuild the wall. 
right? He defines his quarterly goals and his objectives. It's not what he does. It says in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. If we're going to make a difference in our families, in our schools, our office buildings, it cannot be rational. It cannot be academic. It cannot be a religious duty that, oh, okay, the, the crazy guy told me I got to go talk to my coworkers. I better go do that. We cannot feel obligated. It has to be motivated out of a broken heart. When Nehemiah hears this news, he's devastated. It says that he weeps. If we're going to make a difference, our hearts have to break. And I know many of you are there with me because as I said, I'm talking about your sons and your daughters, your friends or grandkids. It's very personal to you. But the only proper motivation for doing anything in this world for Jesus is a broken heart. After that, Nehemiah prayed. And those that have studied the passage estimate that it was for many, many months. I think he did that for one reason. Nehemiah looked at the situation, the broken down walls, the nation in ruins. He looked at himself. He did the math and he said, what? I can't do this. How am I supposed to make a difference? Really? Like I, one guy, I'm supposed to rebuild the wall? He committed to desperate prayer out of a recognition that if God didn't do it, it would not happen. The same is true for you and I. You're not going to reach your families because you try harder or you get the right approach. You have to dedicate yourself to radical prayer. Sometimes I feel like we internalize the story of the five loaves and the two fish like this. Okay, I got five loaves and two fish. How am I going to use them? How am I going to be a good steward of these resources? Oh, well, I'm, I'm strong here and I'm weak here. I got these resources and these opportunities and limitations. <laughs> it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that what you offer to Jesus is kind of lame. I was like, really? This? This is going to feed these thousands of people? The point of the story is that what you have And what I have is woefully inadequate to meet the needs of the world. It's so relieving. It's so great that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the collective resources of this church. And thank goodness. Because if it was, we'd have no hope. Reaching people is about taking the humble resources we have, offering them to Jesus. He multiplies it. And that's how we reach the masses. And so if we're going to make any difference in our lives, in our families' lives, we need to have broken hearts and a radical commitment to prayer. But after that, we do need a plan. Nehemiah has a plan, right? It's audacious, and it changes history. And so we need a plan. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Four ideas principles that you can implement into your life that you may reach those who you love that are not coming here. First step is we need to develop a missionary mindset. If I came to you in a year and I said, actually, if I came to you today and I said, in a year, 
you will be going as a full-time missionary to China or Uganda or just some foreign context you're not familiar with, I think quite intuitively you'd recognize I got to prepare, right? I'm not just going to like set an alarm on that day and show up, right? I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to study the culture. I'm going to do everything that I can do that I might effectively communicate the gospel to those people. We have become foreigners in our own cities. We no longer speak the language of our own culture. And in order to reach the people in our lives, literally just outside of these walls, we have to become missionaries of our own cities. So what does that mean? Well, it means we have to commit ourselves to learning and understanding the context and culture around us in order to communicate the gospel effectively. Let me say that again. We have to commit ourselves to learning and understanding the context and culture around us in order to communicate the gospel effectively. So much of our failure to reach people is that we don't really know them. We think we know them, but we don't. And so we're answering questions that people aren't asking. We're speaking using words that people don't understand. Jesus was a brilliant communicator. Right? So when he spoke of farming and fishing and sowing and seeds, these weren't abstract agrarian terms that he just sort of plucked out of thin air. This was everyday life. This was vivid daily imagery. His audience would have been like, yeah, I was just doing that. That makes sense. But if I go into downtown London or Sao Paulo or Minneapolis and I say, Jesus is the good shepherd. The Bible is powerful as a two-edged sword. Not a lot of dudes walking around with swords today. People literally know what I mean, but that's not powerful imagery for a modern context. Isolation is our enemy. And I think we can all agree that it's not just about proximity. Right? You can be near people, but that doesn't mean you know them. You can sit next to the same person for 10 years. You can live next to the same person for 20 years, but you don't know them. We have this weird modern phenomenon of being surrounded by people, but being utterly alone at the same time. If we're going to reach people, we have to have a missionary mindset, which means intentionally getting to know the people that God has called us to reach. Outside of Jesus, perhaps the best example of this is the Apostle Paul. Right? He's probably the greatest missionary of all time. We could agree. Acts 17, 17, listen to this. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. All right, so what can we learn from this? When did Paul go? Daily. Right? I think we have this mindset when it comes to missions that it's for special people at certain times. Right? We send those missionaries out to do that missionary stuff. When what Paul seems to be modeling is that it's every day. It's daily life. Where did Paul go? Synagogue? Public square? Right? So to the Jews, but also just to everyday normal places. Right? These aren't unusual places. This is just where everyday people happen to be. And who did he speak to? All who happen to be there. 
This is what it means to have a missionary mindset. Being consistently present in normal places, speaking to all who happen to be there. It's really that simple. In Steiger, we call that being present in the scene. Now, a scene is just a group of people gathering around a particular interest. It's not about music as it's often thought. It's anything, right? It can be board games. It can be a football team. In the traditional service, I said pickleball, and that resonated, (laughs) which actually is a really great game, by the way, but it can be anything. We all have scenes. We all have spheres of influence. In my life, one of the main things I get to do is be part of this band, No Longer Music, and we combine theater, visuals, video, special effects to tell a modern-day story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus We go outside of the church, big public squares, lift up the cross. In fact, I'm leaving on Tuesday for Argentina and Uruguay to do this very thing. And we expect thousands of people to hear hear about Jesus and give their lives to him. And this is one of the great scenes that God has allowed me to be part of. But when I'm here, I'm just a normal guy. (laughs) And I have three kids, seven, five, and three. And for whatever reason... My son decided, my seven-year-old son decided he wanted to play hockey. And look, I know, I'm sure there's some of you in here, you know, we all know. It's crazy, it's expensive, it's time-consuming. I don't know why I said yes, but I did, and here we are. And I've spent a lot of time, even summer, beautiful summer days, in a cold rink. And I could be annoyed, and sometimes I was, but as I looked around... I was like, this is a scene. This is a scene. You know, yeah, I'm cool rock star stage guy, but I'm a hockey dad right now. That's my scene. I got to be here. I got to be intentional here. I got to develop relationships here. And here's the thing. When you really get to know people, shockingly, you become good at talking to them. Right? You no longer are guessing what they're thinking or wondering what's on their minds. You know their hopes, their fears, their dreams, the things that keep them up at night. Going back to Paul, he once again demonstrates what this looks like. Look at Acts 17, 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul makes it look so easy, right? He shows up, he walks around, he looks carefully. You know, I imagine he like hung out and talked to some dudes in togas, right? He got the lay of the land. He learned what was on their minds and hearts and he realized, wow, these guys are really into philosophy. These guys are really into debate and religion. And he found this sort of desperation to cover all bases, even this altar to an unknown God. He says, I can use that. And so speaking from their poets and their philosophers, he makes a case for Christ. Brilliant example of what a missionary mindset looks like. And we need to follow his lead. Step two, have spiritual conversations. Today, people are very skeptical of institutional religion. Right? To them, it's corrupt, it's hypocritical, it's abusive. They're not, by and large, interested But they're very, very open spiritually. And I experience this all the time. You probably know what I'm talking about. Young people, yeah, they're cool with the whole spirituality thing. But the church thing, the religion thing, not so much. 
Uh, we do a lot of outreach here in the Twin Cities area, and we were at the U of M campus, and about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I had this idea. I thought, all right, we can take this character from our show, which is this very dramatic angel-looking character, guy on stilts, long robe, bright LED mask. We dressed this guy up. We hung a sign around his neck that said, do you believe in ghosts? And this was right around Halloween. And we went to the U of M and we just started asking people questions. Now, you know, all the doubts came in my mind. Is this going to work? It's going to be awkward. Is, is, you know, is this going to be effective? Even though it was like 20 degrees outside, people were lining up to talk to us. So hungry to talk about deep spiritual things. What comes next? What's behind what we can see? This is because this is how every person is made. Every single person is made with a deep sense of the spiritual and a longing to connect to it. It's an ontological fact about us. It's not a preference or something that religious people choose. It's a fact about the way we are made. It's a literal fact about the way we're made. Think of what Paul says in Romans 1.20, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I think we need to be careful to not weaponize this verse. Right? We can say, look, those people out there, they have no excuse. To me, this gives me extraordinary confidence. It gives me confidence in knowing that every person is aware of the invisible qualities of God, even if they don't yet know the source. That's very profound if you reflect on what that means for your interactions with people. St. Augustine, as he was giving his life to Jesus, as he was on his spiritual journey, he wrote this. He said, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look at where the light fell. And essentially what he was saying was this, his spiritual blindness or his stubbornness or his pride, it did not allow him to see God directly. He was unwilling or unable. But what he could see was abundant evidence for God everywhere he looked. And he described this as where the light was falling, right? And as he pursued these sources of light, he traced them back to their origins. Guess what? He discovered God. This is an opportunity. Where is the light falling in the people in your life who won't walk into this building? We need to point to that to point to God. We need to start with the light and point to God. Of course, by contrast, if I just come out to my family member that isn't a believer and I just say, you know, if you were to stand before the God of heaven and if he was to judge you, where would you go? I mean, that's true, right? But is that going to work with a religiously skeptical person? You know how many assumptions are wrapped up in that one sentence? By contrast, we need to have spiritual conversations that lead to the gospel. Spiritual conversations that lead to the gospel. And there are, I think, almost limitless opportunities. I'm fairly convinced I could get from food to Jesus in about two minutes with anyone outside of the church. I mean, think about food, right? God could have made it any way he wanted to. He could have just been like every day at 9 a.m. We eat this tasteless white cube, you know, and it gives us all of our nutrients and we go about our day. That's not what God did. He made food awesome, rich, diverse, 
All of this extraordinary pleasure for us to experience in food, to me, that's evidence for God. That's evidence for God. That's not utilitarian. That's not mechanistic or survivalistic. That speaks to an artist. I can only imagine what it's going to be like, right? If this is just the lame version we got down here. Food speaks to the existence of God. What about beauty? Right? Animals don't care about beauty. But we do. We care about the aesthetic. You think about how weird that is? That we will spend hours and hours and lots of money to make things beautiful? Just in and for itself, as a means to an end? We care about beauty. That's because God cares about beauty and he put that desire in us. Of course, there's nature. Who can look at this world and all of its creativity, all of its intricacy, and think, eh, accident? Nonsense. This is the work of an extraordinary engineer, an extraordinary artist, who put designs in there that make no sense, that are just beautiful and superfluous. God is an artist and an engineer and at the highest level. Of course, there's art and music. Why do we do art? Animals don't do art, right? Why do we do this thing that's not about survival? Again, it's about aesthetics. We make art because God put that desire in us. We were made by the greatest artists of all time. Of course, there's relationships. Why do we care for other people beyond survival? Why do we sacrifice? Why do we care about justice? There are unlimited opportunities for spiritual conversations. God's invisible qualities can be visibly seen everywhere if we would only look. And you might think, okay, where do I start? Not sure I got that whole food speech down quite yet. <laughs> Redefine success is this. Be someone who asks great questions and genuinely listen. <laughs> questions you could ask could include, what are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? If you could change anything about the world, what would it be? What, would it be? what makes you angry? What are your biggest dreams, greatest fears? Why is food the way it is? Why do we do art? Why do we sacrifice for those we love? Good questions will reveal opportunities for spiritual conversations. Number three, learn good answers to tough questions. Look, as you go out there and you begin to have these spiritual conversations, invariably you're going to be met with some stuff, some backlash, some criticism. And that's because... The perception outside of the church today is that to believe and to live out biblical values is immoral. I know that sounds like, what? It's true. hundred years ago, Judeo-Christianity, the moral standard, the universal, universal standard. Today, if you try to stand up for biblical values in the secular marketplace, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're anti-scientific. You're on the wrong side of moral issues. That's the perception. And perception is reality. And we got to know how to respond. And it can be easy to want to just do fight or flight. And I've seen both. Right? You can be the guy or girl who's like, I'm going to know all the answers. And I'm going to argue that person to Jesus. Or you can be like, I'm out completely. (laughs) No thanks. Change the subject. But in my experience, yelling at people and getting in fights and running away, it doesn't really change them doesn't change them. So what should we do? Well, we need good answers, good answers to tough questions. 
Obviously, I can't go all through all of those kinds of answers, even if I had all of them. Now, let me just give you two quick overarching principles for how to navigate difficult subjects in culture today. The first might sound so obvious, but we need to study. To be effective and relevant in culture today, we cannot have a the Bible says it and that settles it approach to people. And I know that might sound controversial to some of you. I believe that the Bible is 100% true and the authoritative and fallible word of God. But guess what? The people out there don't. So if I come at them with the Bible says this, they're like, okay, the book says that. That's great. Good for you. We need to argue to scripture, not from it. We need to take a presuppositional approach. And quite frankly, Jesus and Paul modeled this. When he was with the Athenians, he didn't quote scripture to make his case for Christ. He quoted their poets, their philosophers. He pointed to this unknown God and who that actually might be. We have to engage people where they're at and give relevant and nuanced answers to tough questions. And that's going to take some studying. And look, I know we're not all wired the same. We don't all have the same gifts or resources. But I think serious followers of Jesus have to be students of culture. We have to know what people think, know what they believe, know the barriers they have to belief, and be able to answer in relevant, winsome ways. And here's the really good news. God has equipped others to be what I'm not. We're part of this beautiful body, and in our body, are brilliant men and women who've been called and equipped to articulate great answers to tough questions. And there's an extraordinary wealth for us to dive into. Some of my favorites would include Reason for God by Tim Keller. People to be loved by Preston Sprinkle deals with the LGBT topic as well as Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Paul Copan's Is God a Moral Monster deals with some of the tough questions in the Old Testament. I could give you another hundred I mean, again, you can get those out there at the end of this, but we need to study. We need to care. We need to have good answers to tough questions. Let me be clear. This isn't about knowledge for knowledge's sake or more information that might fuel our hostility and our fear. It's a commitment to understand in order to love. That's a crucial distinction. We need to study, and then we need to find common ground. And this is maybe the most important part of this. I was doing an outreach, a local outreach, and I found myself in a conversation with a guy who described himself as a neo-Marxist. Now, I studied history. I, uh, I've read a bit, all uh, three volumes of the Gulag Archipelago for the nerds among us. I know the economics. I know the ideology. I love 20th century Europe, and I knew a lot more than him. I promise. And I could have made him look foolish real quick. But I didn't do that. I said, that's interesting. Tell me more. You know what I discovered just below the surface of the label? A young guy who looked at the world and said, this is not how it ought to be. There's so much evil, so much injustice, so much brokenness. And I looked at him and said, yeah, you're you're right. You're right. This world is not how it ought to be. Let me tell you about the true revolutionary. Let me tell you about the one who didn't just talk about love, but proved it by coming to earth 
wasn't rich or a celebrity, but was with the poor, healed the sick, didn't fit into the religious and political system, and was killed. But he didn't just stay dead so that he could fix not only the evil that is out there, but the evil that is in here. Totally tracking with me. I prayed with this young neo-Marxist from Minneapolis that God would encounter him the way he encountered me. But I was willing to find common ground. Not focus on the things that divided us, but rather focus on what connected us. And I think that's why he was open to hear what I had to say. Lastly, we need to share our stories to talk about the cross. Have a missionary mindset, spiritual conversations, good answers to tough questions, and then share our stories to talk about the cross. Do I really got 45 seconds left? (laughs) Woo, that does not make sense. All right, I'm going to go double speed, like on a podcast. Just kidding, I'm just going to go for it, and you guys will forgive me, right? Look, ultimately, for all of our strategies, all of our approaches, all of our techniques, what people need is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. They need to know that God is real. They need to experience that supernaturally. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.4, my message and my preaching were not with wise words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My dad, who has been faithfully preaching the gospel outside of the church for four decades, says that where there is no cross, there is no power. And I have seen countless examples in my life where what I do falls flat, but when I'm willing to tell people who Jesus is and what he did, dynamite. I was on tour with No Longer Music in Croatia, and we had a stage And it didn't have a roof over it. And the rain was threatening all day long. And it was very ominous. And we were worried. But like I said, in our show, we do a modern day life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And right when we get to the part of the crucifixion, the rain comes down. And I ain't taking like a little light drizzle. This was like a monsoon. I mean, it was lightning and wind. It was like free special effects. And of course I was conflicted, because thank you, God, but really now is not a great time. I'm looking at my guitarist over here and drummer, and we're panicking. We don't know what to do. Our stuff's getting rained on. I'm looking over at our Australian bass player, and he seems oblivious. He's just like embracing it, you know, in his Australian-ness. But Australians are a little weird. We all know that. Um, Right then, the power goes out. Now, traditionally, when you do a gospel story, you don't want to end at the crucifixion. Uh, It's not the most uplifting, but my dad, being who he is, gets off the stage, jumps into the crowd, verbally presents the gospel and says, if you want to know this Jesus I'm talking about, kneel. Like a hundred guys kneel. Praying right there in that muddy field to receive Jesus. And I remember walking away going, God, wasn't this about me? Like I thought it was about how good I am, how cool I am, how persuasive and awesome our show is. I walked away going, pfft. I don't even know why you use me, God. But thank you that you do. At the end of the day, what people need that we have is the power of God. And the power of God comes when we preach the gospel. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm going to have to start a rock band. (laughs) For some of you, probably not. Um, Look, you might not have a rock band, but you've got a story. And there's power in your story. 
for all of the things that I do, one of the most profound things I get to do is look someone in the eye after one of our shows or at one of our outreaches and say, my life was broken. But when I met Jesus, I became alive. I was desperately evil and God forgave me and healed me. I was broken and alone and he set me free. There is such power in your story and God wants to use you to tell your story to talk about the cross. That's why it says in Revelation 12, 11, they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives as to shy away from death. Look, the world is on fire. And I know that for many of you, this is a desperate subject. Your sons, your daughters, your grandkids, you've cried for them. You've wondered if there's even hope. Don't give up. Be like the widow before the unjust judge. Cry out for justice. Let God break your hearts in a new way. Be like Nehemiah and respond with radical prayer. Commit yourself to knowing the audience God has called you to reach. Recognize the scenes and the influence that you have and use it to share your story, to talk about the cross. This isn't a formula or a magic bullet, but if you will follow these principles with God's power, lives will change. And we need that, right? Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for these dear people. Thank you that you use normal, broken, ordinary people like myself to bring hope into the lives of those that desperately need it. I don't understand it. I'm glad you do. Renew these dear people's hope. Revive their prayer lives. Break their hearts. Send them out. And we pray for radical life change in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces today in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.